Hey everybody, it's Laura Purcell, and this is Monday, January 27th, and this is a much, much delayed episode. We recorded this months and months ago uh, while I was deep in the preparation for the alternate and actually very sick at the time, <laughs> unfortunately. But yeah, this is with the writers, stars, and directors of the film Greener Grass, Jocelyn DeBoer and Don Luby. Uh, Jocelyn and Don were kind enough to come on the show and talk about uh, the making of their film and what led up to them getting this film made, and uh, yeah, it was a really fun conversation. We learned a lot about um, them as filmmakers, what led them to become directors, um, you know, starting as actors and then moving towards writing and then directing. It's a really fun, fascinating story. And uh, yeah, I got to hear a little bit about uh, the making of Greener Grass. I hope everybody enjoys this episode, and again, sorry for the delay, and here is episode 244 of Making Movies is Hard with Jocelyn DeBoer and Don Luby. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggles of being an independent filmmaker. I am Liz Manischel. And I'm Alark Purcell. Okay, well, this week or weeks ago, um, we spoke to <laughs> <laughs> years ago, mm. back in the distant past. <laughs> we, we at one point spoke to the filmmakers who made Greener Grass, Jocelyn DeBoer and Don Luby. Um, but yeah, they were fantastic. Um, Jocelyn and Don were really fun to talk to, and their movie is really interesting and inspiring because, like, they came into filmmaking sort of from, I guess, the acting and writing perspective, and then. They they made a few shorts as a team in front of the camera and as the writers, but not the directors. And then it was like, at one point they realized we should be directing these things. Like what's going on? And so the Greener Grass short film, which they made years ago and did really, really well in film festivals. And that was like their first thing that they did together. They didn't direct that. And, you know, I ask a stupid question in the show because I didn't realize that um, until later, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, um, <laughs> And it's really a fantastic story to hear them go from the short to getting the feature made and how that process worked. So this is a really, really great episode. I think we've been interviewing like a lot of like idealistic scenarios lately or just scenarios that feel like <laughs> outliers. Like we'll talk about how they got the financing and it was just like that is the best case scenario for any project to get financing. And right. I was right. just blown away by how lucky they were, but also like clearly how talented they were to garner that opportunity. Right. Yeah. Well, it was, it was a classic, <laughs> like you said, the, the outlier scenario that Timothy and I talk about all the time. It's like, you make your short film, you know, you, you think you're going to get into big film festivals. And I think they got into like one of the best international film festivals. Yeah. And then they played South by Southwest too. I believe with that first one, it was like, yeah, and then and then to meet an investor through that process who's going to fund their movie is kind of insane. And I mean, it wasn't that direct where it's like greener grass short, greener grass feature. Like there was lots of years in between and stuff. But I mean, essentially, in in a nutshell, it was the thing that we all dream about. 
basically. Well, and also to have found a collaborator who's so attuned to your aesthetic and artistic inclinations, that's incredibly rare. To be able to act and write and direct, that's incredibly rare. So these artists are just, they're amazing and really impressive. Yeah, and, and very positive too and encouraging, which I really like. So I think this is going to be a really positive, um, upbeat uh, conversation and hopefully we'll inspire a lot of people to, you know, like if, especially if you're like not sure about directing and like you, but you have the spark inside, but you're not, you don't think you can do it. Listen to their story is like, yeah, you can do it. Just, just go for it. Don't let people tell you no and don't let things stand in your way. Like just go out, go after what you want, you know? Yeah. And I think we need to come clean, Auric. I think we have to admit that neither of us watched the movie. And <laughs> there's really it's no true. problem with that in right. my eyes, but that, that we all should just see the movie to support them. But right. a lot of our questions are, were about process and collaboration because that's what right. really excited us because both Elric and I were both about to go into production again. Right, right. Right. Exactly. I start production in less than two weeks from now. It's like 13 days until we, until we roll cameras. We got our tech scout in a day and our production meeting in the day after that. So it's all happening. Then we start prep. So it's, it's a, it's a crazy time for me right now. And uh, it's been a crazy time you know, for the last like two months. So any of the movies that I have been able to watch during this time, it's kind of a miracle. But yeah, I mean, and, and, and to be honest, like going back to the early days, like we never really made it a big point to watch the movies beforehand. We tried to, of course, if we could. But, you know, I don't think it's necessarily essential to having the kind of conversations that we want to have. I just, I really wanted to see this movie because I yeah, saw the trailer it and, it, and it looks amazing. And I thought that, you know, for being first time feature filmmakers, it's such an outlandish looking film and so uh, unique. And I really kind of wanted to talk about the story stuff. Yeah, just due to scheduling and timing and the movie that I'm making, it just wasn't possible. And I was going to try to watch it before this outro. Um, but yeah, that was an ultimate fail, too. So, um, yeah. <laughs> But, but I'll see you, it one day. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure. Sure, like day of the wrap, you'll go, you'll reward yourself by watching it. <laughs> right. But I do want to give you a lot of credit. I'm always the asshole who says, no, I'm not going to watch the movie beforehand. I can't possibly do that. But you make every single effort every single recording to do a lot of research and watch the films in advance. And I just think that people maybe don't know that, that that's um, something that you do, something that I clearly do not do and have no preference towards, <laughs> but you always right. make an effort. So I, I think they should, people should know that. Yeah. There was a few episodes that I don't think have come out yet. Like Tom, Tom Hong, um, we talked to him and I watched his movie before and Anthony Ag Aguilar, um, I watched his movie before. You know, I really like watching movies. I watch movies all the time. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's hard because, you know, I watch most of my movies with my wife, Beth, and she doesn't always want to watch a super indie, low-budget movie. Beth, <laughs> so come on, Beth. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is, like, completely totally understandable. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, but it, sometimes I win, mostly I lose. But then I just, you know, if I'm editing an episode or working on some other editing project or doing something that's not, like, whatever, you don't have to be thinking very hard, then I'll put on... Uh, a movie in the background. And then that's how I watch a lot of my movies anyways. But uh, before we get into this conversation, <laughs> should we do some iTunes reviews? Liz? Let's do it. Let's do it. Do you want to read the first one? Sure. Sure. I'll take this first one. So this is back from May of 2019, May 6th, during our glorious battle for uh, the most iTunes reviews in May. This is called guilted into writing a review. Hi, 
been listening to Oliver and Timothy R.I.P. for about a year now. Wait, I've thoroughly wait, hold enjoyed. On. We gotta pause. Why? <laughs> why say R.I.P. <laughs> Poor Timothy. Because he, he pretty much has disappeared from the face of the podcast. Like he's not on social media anymore in any form. But let's he has clarify: not Timothy to is one. not dead. Timothy he's is not... alive and well, no. and probably much happier as a person. <laughs> Right. I think that's something that co-host Alex Kellerman started when we were doing episodes together earlier in the year. We would just say, you know, Timothy, I would say, I would say Timothy, blah, 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 this. And then he'd say, R.I.P. Timothy. Um, and so that's, I think, a reference to, oh. uh, um, you know, Alex Kellerman's <laughs> So this craziness. is a real listener, a real listener writing a real review. Oh, absolutely. Fabulous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah so they continue. I have thoroughly enjoyed nearly all the episodes. Nearly all. I wonder which ones they did not enjoy. Although Timothy is missed, I feel like Ulrich is doing a great job carrying the torch. I can consider your podcast almost a public service announcement. Anyone interested in getting into film should listen to at least 50 episodes before spending a time. I appreciate all the jaded comments from Kellerman and Liz, etc. Although it might not be what people <laughs> want to hear. It's what any real aspiring filmmaker should hear. Thanks again for all the insightful information. Please continue to be, I think they're going to say honest, but let me make sure to be honest and genuine. Thanks. Grateful listener, Dan. I was not a pessimist until this year. <laughs> and now it's like the, the the people who listen to this, I'm now the cynic, I'm the pessimist, I'm the jaded individual. But it's I think okay. you, have, you have sparks of super positive, uplifting energy, and then you have sparks of, um, <laughs> I'm bipolar. you know. It's totally fine. Yeah, a little bit more of the negative side, but I think it's good. But that was by Liebus Productions, and that was a five-star review. Thank you, so Liebus. Thanks. Thanks, Liebus Productions and Dan. Really appreciate uh, the love. And thank you for listening for now over a year. Um, that's amazing. If you're still listening, hopefully you are. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. Push you away. <laughs> yeah. But that's a very touching uh, review. I really, that, that means a lot, Dan. Um, all right. You want to take the next one? Yeah. 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 So someone said that they love this podcast with two exclamation points because I think it's a throwback to the title of the show. And they're by Crowbe Show, May 15th, 2019. Uh, they said, this is a great podcast, really honest, interesting conversations about filmmaking from a lot of different perspectives. Highly recommend. Thank you. You are wonderful. You're just as wonderful as Liebes. And then how many stars was that review, Liz? Oh, probably five. But let me look. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's five. <laughs> Absolutely five. All right. Should we save some more for the other episodes? Or um... Yeah, that sounds like a plan. Okay, cool. So any last words you want to say about this conversation with Jocelyn and Don? No, I just think that these are badass ladies and I can't wait to see what they do next. Ditto. All right. Here's our conversation with Jocelyn and Don. So Jocelyn and Don, thanks for being on the show. Before we get into the the interview, can you guys give us your one minute bio? We're so Absolutely. happy to be here. Thank you. I'm Jocelyn. I'm Don. And um, we believe strongly that making movies is hard. It's so hard. <laughs> um, the, nice. the two of us met performing at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in New York. We were forced onto a team together and then over the years decided we just loved working yes. together. And in 2015, we both found ourselves in LA, newly um, recently having moved there. And we decided to collaborate on something together, just the two of us, which is when we wrote our first short film, Greener Grass. Yeah. And we made three short films before we made our feature, which ended up being the Greener Grass feature. 
which we're going to talk all about now. <laughs> and you should also yeah. mention that you guys are professional actors as well. Oh, yes. In addition, right? <laughs> Don't leave that out. No, please. Thank you. You're helping us. We both, <laughs> I, acting was my major in college. I'm, you know, like a technically trained actor. Don, was acting your major as well? It was my major. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then we worked as actors for years in New York before becoming filmmakers in LA. <laughs> yeah. I actually just wanted to jump off with a question because I've, you know, as a filmmaker, I've worked for co-directors and I've also been a part of a co-directing situation. Can you talk a little bit about the origin of deciding to work together and what that's been like? Totally. And we so love talking to other people about co-directing because we're always curious how other people do it exactly. <laughs> but Don, wouldn't you say for us, it would really how we started is we made two short films first the greener grass short and then a short called buzz that we wrote we starred in and we executive produced and we brought on friends of ours truly from the upright citizens brigade in new york to direct and i think with greener grass well uh, particularly it was like such a new experience for us to be involved from the beginning of making something because we both have an acting background. We had been on a lot of sets, but I think there were so many things we were learning, such basic things like, oh, if you want a, a baby uh, in the scene, you must write it in the script. Like, for example, <laughs> on the Greener Grass short, we, we told everyone in the production meetings, like, Yes, once Jill gives Lisa her baby, the joke is that the baby is always with Lisa. It's like such a permanent consequence that she has it. And we said that, but then in the script, we only mentioned her, you know, when she called attention to herself in some way. So the second day of our two-day shoot on the Greener Grass short, we arrived and there was no baby and our, you know, <laughs> producer was Amazing. like, well, there, it's not in the script. And it was Father's Day. And <laughs> we were like, well, we really need a baby. Anyway, to, to our producer's credit, she ended up finding one. But that being said, we just had so little experience in terms of actually like being the screenwriters and being in production. But then Don, wouldn't you say once we were working on or, or no, it was really in post-production for Greener Grass. Our friend Paul Berganti was directing it, delivered us like a, a great director's cut of the short just a couple weeks after we were done. And then he got a job being the digital video director at Saturday Night Live and he moved to New York. And so we were in L.A. with this like kind of first cut of the short film and we ended up getting to work with the editor we were the ones who did the color correct on the movie we worked with the composer and did all these post-production things and I think that's when we first kind of got bit by the bug of like oh we really like this part of it and then uh, Don, do you want to talk about when we started making buzz yeah <laughs> it, it's, it's funny I think we had like such uh exciting like fun experience also very hard but like rewarding experience ultimately making the greener grass short that before we even really heard from any film festivals or before we even knew if it would have any kind of success we were we dove into making our next short we were just like really as Jocelyn said kind of bit uh, and wanted to 
to immediately go into production on our next short. So that's so that funny one, you mentioned that because I always forget that. But it's true when we heard back from our very first festival with Greener Grass, our like first response from a festival was Claremont Ferrand, and we were on the set shooting Buzz. Yeah. And so that's so true. Yeah. yeah, we were just like wanting to start making more kind of regardless of whether or not anyone would ever see Greener Grass. And we were, uh, you know, lucky in that it, it did end up having a, you know, relatively successful festival run. But so yeah, really we, quick, go, yeah. go back. So the Greener Grass short, what roughly when is this that you made this short? Was this like... In 2016, 2017, like how long ago did this Greener Grass short come about? We shot it in 2015 in in the summer and kind of finished post late summer, early fall and submitted it to festivals, you know, kind of at the end of 2015. And then it was on the festival circuit in 2016. It premiered at Claremont Ferrand, which... Oh, wow. Nice. Is, was just the most incredible experience for a short film maker in terms of, you know, it's like uh, your, your short plays for in these beautiful auditoriums of thousands of people and people are lined up around the blocks and the excitement for short films is unlike any other festival we've been to. Wow. And yeah. And then we, it kind of, it premiered in the U S at South by Southwest. And that was really, we won an award for writing there. And that really made such a a difference for us in terms of kind of being off and running in in our careers. So right off the gate, you have your first short film play at these like two, premiere these two big film festivals. That must have been pretty cool. I mean, can you just talk about how that came down? Did you have any connections at those festivals or did you just submit and get in? Honest to God, we had no connections in the world. Wow. We, Amazing. we Googled the, um, the <laughs> top short film festivals in the world. right? And Claremont Ferrand was number one. And, but we uh, applied to the top 10, I think. Right, Don. We just kind of were googling yeah. and figuring out. I I do think though, like, get with being at Claremont Ferrand, that was really a gateway festival. I think to get the attention of other festivals, and then and even after that, we had right. a number of festivals just reach out to us and send us waiver codes. And I think really being in that festival open the door. Wow. Amazing. And is that called the arrival or is that, is the arrival a different short? That, that one is greener grass. That's it's just greener grass to short. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then, so that was directed by our friend, Paul Berganti. And then oh. I think long story long, what we, I think what we were trying to say about our second short buzz is that we also hired our friend to direct it. But by that time, we were, since we were coming out of that edit of Greener Grass, we were so envisioning how every shot was going to be, how like, like how everything was going to look and buzz, that having another director that we brought on board, of, of course, he was such a mentor to us, and he walked us through so many directorial things, but there were a few points when we were so sure of how we thought something was going to be that it was not how he saw it which like of course he's the director like right. that's fine but we we just felt this like push and pull a little 
I, we always joke that the ostriches are a good example because uh, we shot Buzz in this like gorgeous, isolated mountain home. And when we got to the location, we discovered that they had ostriches on the property, which Don and I like think we both kind of look like birds, like ostriches, <laughs> like we're like these tall, like gangly <laughs> women. And we were like, this would be so perfect for Buzz if these women like have ostriches on their property. But our director, Mitch, you know, maybe rightfully so, was like, no, that's too silly. We He didn't want it. But just for our tone and our style, we did want the ostriches. And I think that was one point when we were like, why, why are we fighting over something that <laughs> we're paying for and we yeah. see the vision so clearly? And I think after that point, we learned so much from Mitch, I want to say too, and it was a great experience. But I think after that point, we were like, you know what? We can direct the next one. I think we should. Did you put ostriches in your next project? And all of our projects from then on have ostriches. Yes, we're making an ostrich biopic as our second feature. Well, let's go back even further because you guys are so in sync and I, I love hearing how connected you are as creators. Can, and I'm sure you've told the story a million times, but like what gave you the confidence to say, we're going to go forward in this creative career together and work on these projects as teammates? I think Jocelyn and I have like just always had a like very good working relationship. And I think like, like we originally met back in 2011 performing on a sketch team at the UCB theater in New York. And I think we have just always kind of been drawn to each other's sense of humor and like interested in a kind of heightened formalistic tone. And I think like when we made Greener Grass a short, that was our first time really working together, just the two of us. And it was such a a good experience. And I think we, I think there are very few people that you encounter that you just like can really, really work together and spend hours and hours and hours. And another thing that we like to talk about is we are both middle children from the Midwest, and I think uh, it, it, that really, like, helps us kind of really feel each other out and, like, make sure we're always kind of on the same page, and we're very, we've gotten, like, really good at working together and creating a, a shared unified voice and just have, I think because we had the experience of making those three shorts before we made this feature, we had a lot of practice and figured out kind of what worked for us and what didn't and kind of honed our, our relationship too. And I think for us too, we, when we first started making Greener Grass, we were not filmmakers, so to speak. We had been doing like tons of improv comedy and sketch and acting uh, over the last, like our last decade in New York. But then when it, we came to filmmaking together, which I think it wasn't ever like, it didn't feel like a choice for me. Like, do yeah. I do this with Dawn or do I do this alone? It was like us hanging out being like, not liking, you know, or, or I don't know, just feeling like we weren't doing anything and being like, oh, getting so excited to make something. So it kind of was born out of us wanting to do something together, I think, which is, I feel like probably different than a lot of people who 
you know, went to film school and have been pursuing that specifically for a long time. Well, so I'm really curious. So when you finished, you were like doing the post on the Greener Grass short and you were kind of left alone and you had to figure out all these things on your own. After that point, did you start to do any research on other filmmaking things like to learn more about directing and stuff? Or like when did it, when did it become a thing that you wanted to learn to, to do? I want to say, yes, we did while we were working on I remember Don even watching every frame of painting together like back yeah. in your old house <laughs> like I think like that was so so long ago probably when we were working on greener grass posts in googling shot lists and how to make shot lists and watching videos yeah. shot on different lenses and just like yeah. trying to give ourselves as much a crash course as we could in you know everything technical especially that we were trying to catch up on. I think definitely when we, after we made Buzz, we pretty quickly after made a third short called The Arrival, which was the first time we were directing. And I think when, especially when we knew The Arrival was going to happen and we were making it, we were like obsessively like trying to like soak up every bit of filmmaking knowledge we could. I think back when I I was living in New York performing at the UCB, I think I I was so drawn to directing. And I always thought about like wanting to direct my sketch team, wanting to direct. But I I think I I didn't think I could direct video exactly. Or it wasn't like even though I wanted to make stuff I think I, I looked at the other people I knew who were directing and they were total cinephiles. They went to film school. They had been making videos forever. And I I think it was a really cool feeling when we were making buzz and, and Mitch like really helped show us everything he does in pre-production when we realized like, oh, we can do this. It's not, you know, this like foreign language that we don't understand and can't or yeah. Well, that's pretty awesome that you took the initiative to make that decision because I don't think a lot of people always do that where they're like, oh, yeah, I want to do this thing. I can do it. And then you just do it on your next project. That's pretty cool. And it's fun that ostriches um, were <laughs> thing that because uh, I can totally relate to that, like having a, a, an idea on a movie that you're making and then being convinced not to, to go with it, you know, even as a director. You know, and so yes. I can imagine like that idea of like being so passionate about this thing that you're creating that you wrote and that you're acting in and then being like sort of like, you know, have this roadblock to a creative idea and then realizing, wait, there is a way we could do this without the roadblocks. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the podcast is called Making Movies is Hard. And right now it seems super easy. Yes, this easy. is the so... best title for a podcast. <laughs> no, yes. yes. <laughs> so let's, let's get in the nitty gritty of, of fundraising and financing if you're open to chatting about how did you get the money together for that first feature and talk, you know, as yeah. transparently well, as you feel well, comfortable doing. Oh, but before right, that, I'm, I'm just I'm curious. Well, I mean, because, you know, short films aren't super expensive, but they're also not cheap. I'm just curious, like, how did you fund all the short films? Were these all just self-funded or did you raise money? Like, how did you get that done? Uh, With our short films, we did self-fund them. And, And I guess with our first short, Greener Grass, we did get a bit of a return with um, we got a distribution opportunity after oh, wow. the Claremont Franz Festival through Canal Plus. 
And, and then um, we and sold also, a pilot version of the the script to IFC. Oh, really? Wow. But we should say when you when you sell a short film internationally, it is not a lot of money. <laughs> no, um, no, it, we did not like make money off. So, of so the not six figures. Deal. I mean, in terms no, of we no, did not no. earn back our budget. <laughs> <laughs> well, making any money on any short film is pretty amazing. Like I would say 99.9% of short films make $0 or, you know, or just, you know, whatever cash pits basically. So it's amazing that you're able to get some return for it. And it um, yeah. Yeah. The, the bigger return was to have these examples of our voice that we could have out there in the world to get you know, attention and get more work. And ultimately, it was those shorts that got the attention of the the person who financed our feature, who wishes to remain anonymous, but uh, of she course. or he was <laughs> a, a big fan of our oh, wow. short films and gave us the opportunity to make the feature. So one sole investor for the film? One sole investor. And wow. I will say too that... Nicely done. Our, <laughs> it's it's such a like unique and fortunate situation. Our our movie too, it was a 19 day shoot in 17 different locations. And um, oh, John, wow. John, should we just say what the budget was? Do you want to? Yeah, I think I it's helpful yeah. information. Yeah, the and the budget was like just over six hundred thousand, like maybe landing around six fifty. Oh wow! So I. It was obviously such a generous gift. And (laughs) the the biggest gift, too, was that we had complete creative control on it. So this person is is not in Hollywood. It basically just wanted to, like, give us a, a jump start to our career, but then just was not involved. So it's something that we're... It's... It's such an honor to us and such an incredible compliment that people are saying that our movie is so original and they've never seen a movie like it, et cetera. And we always just think like, I think that's because people don't get the opportunity to make movies like this. And we we did just because we had complete creative control on it and we didn't ever have to pitch it. We we never pitched the feature script. (laughs) We never pitched the movie. You know, the the first time we had any like outside adjudication was like sending it to festivals and sales agents and things like that. It's just a really unique situation in that way. But because of and, that patronage, oh, sorry to cut you off. Um, keep keep going, please. <laughs> I want to hear the oh, rest. We were just, I was just going to like add that it's so important to us and so special that we got that opportunity that Don and I always talk about as we have any success in our careers, so to speak, it's our dream to be able to then fund projects of other artists that we believe in and just like give them the money to make something because that's what we had. And we we were like talking about recently wishing that like Amazon or Apple or like, you know, one of these like very big studios would do some kind of project where they could fund features of first-time filmmakers for what is like the budget of greener grass the feature is basically a rounding error to one of those companies and like what would it be like if we gave 
complete creative control to artists whose visions are so unique and it could change independent filmmaking. We feel like that's so what we always yeah, yeah. was trying to do. Right. I mean, um, I think so different curation because it's not doing so yeah. well, but, <laughs> um, yeah. but I think that was the dream. And I guess I was curious, this question ties in a few of those thoughts. I think because of that patronage, how did you decide distribution decisions and marketing decisions? Was this in, this is angel investor where they kind of kept on the outside of those things as well? Or were they a part of the film's release and how, how to put it out into the world? We, so with our distribution opportunities, they, they came kind of in the wake of our Sundance premiere and after kind of the reception there. And um, we had a, a number of you know a handful of offers and we kind of Jocelyn and I took the phone calls and kind of handled all of the communication with those potential distributors and then I think when we had kind of narrowed it down and we're like quite sure we wanted to go with IFC Midnight we did consult the angel investor and and, (laughs) you know talk to them and you know sort of made sure they were, you know, on board with that and excited about that. And they were, and they agreed with us that it was a great opportunity and a a really good fit. And so, yeah, so though they were consulted, of course, we kind of handled the the initial conversations and we, you know, hired a a lawyer who did the negotiations and And the um, biggest thing is we had involved in that. Our sales agent was so helpful and this Mm -hmm. was all obviously so new to us. So we, I wouldn't have even expected when we were making Greener Grass that we were going to get like an agent for it that we'd go into Sundance with or anything like that. But basically, this company, 30 West, came in right after it was announced that we were going to be at Sundance. And then they they were also there selling the movie Late Night. And they, like, they were doing other kind of, they, whatever, they've done a ton of deals. So it was really helpful to have them, I would say, because... Yeah, they absolutely. did all the dirty work. <laughs> yeah. So you'd mentioned selling the like greener grass, like short film, like pitching like a like a a, a, t- a series version of it to IFC like years yeah. ago. So did that come into play when they bought the movie after it was made, or was that? I mean, were they involved at all in the pre-production of it or beforehand, or was it more like once it was done? You just approach them with the film. You know, the the honest truth is that when we met the IFC Films people, they had no idea that we even had the TV show there. It's like, oh. <laughs> um, the which is, I, I think like in, I've heard in press, it's like kind of said that it was like, it's kind of implied that it was like one unified thing. But the, the IFC Films people in New York are extremely separate from the, TV people in California. And so Uh. it was a really separate thing. But we we had such a good experience working on the TV show with IFC. And it was basically, I, I think we wrote, we pitched six seasons of the show. And we wrote something that was like, so ambitious, like so many layers to it, like, our own little like Game of Thrones, greener grass world. And I think it ultimately came down that at that time at IFC, there just wasn't the money to like to do this kind of project. And Don and I were left with do we try to pitch the TV show to other places? Or, you know, what do we do with it? And 
it's it's funny that basically that week that we got rejected, I went down to from IFC. The, I went down to Austin, Texas, to shoot a role in Jim Cummings' feature Thunder Road. I play his wife in that movie. And um, then Don went to the Napa Valley Film Festival with our short The Arrival and was and we were both kind of in indie feature world because Don was like, you know, catching up with a lot of people in indie features there and blah, blah, blah. And I, we both came back to work the next week and we started working on the pitch for our TV show because we were like thinking of taking it out again. And then I feel like over coffee that morning, we were like, what if we just made a feature? And we had this person who basically had offered a while back that to fund something like a small type feature thing. And we were like, why don't we just do that? And I think part of it too was with the TV show, there was this fear that we wouldn't be able to direct it because at that time we didn't right. have that much experience. And, and also there would be probably a, a different showrunner brought on. And I think we wouldn't have the same kind of creative control. Whereas with this feature, we, we knew we would be able to direct it because of this special situation. And then just to be transparent, because like I think it's interesting, in order to make the feature, we had to buy back the rights from IFC. So oh, every what? penny... Wow. that they had paid us, which I, I, is totally normal, I think. But we we had to buy back. And then it's just so funny because then we sold it again, ultimately, to IFC. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So did, did they charge you... A lot of money back and forth. Was it yeah. the same exact amount that they had paid you or did they charge you more to get it back? They charged It was the interest. same. Oh, oh. they charged yeah. Wow. Really? Oh, I forgot that. Yeah. Which oh, I guess funny. makes sense. They, you know, <laughs> with inflation and interest, in it, it equated to about the same. But right. Yeah, that wow. was not the most fun. <laughs> So, Liz, yeah. unless you have some other questions following this line of path, I want to talk about process a little bit just because I find it fascinating. I mean, co-directors always fascinate me because I haven't really co-directed very much. But also the fact that you're in all your stuff, too, um, that like adds a layer of difficulty to the whole process. So I just love to hear about like how you operate, you know, yeah. like and, and like in you, a granular way, like who presses in, who presses out. Like, I would love to hear more about that as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I would just say like on, we'll start on a macro level and then we'll get granular. Um, sure. <laughs> I, I would say on a macro level, it's, um, of, of course there, there's so many things that are so uh, challenging about acting and something that you also like wrote and are directing and executive producing. But I, I think in like some ways that are so important to the way that Don and I work, it's things are also extremely streamlined because when we're directing, our lead actresses know the tone and know the arcs of the characters, know the stories, know the why behind everything better than anyone else on the set. And like when, and as directors, we know why every scene is in the movie. We know like why every single, the, the intention behind every line, et cetera, better than anyone because we wrote it and we came up with everything. 
And so I feel I like... I think, too, yeah, just to add on, we really, when we're writing, imagine the edit. And so when it comes time to shot list, we really know exactly what coverage we need and what coverage we don't need. And so from that standpoint, it, it expedites things. But like, yeah. do, you, do you, since you're in a lot of the scenes together, do you watch playback after every scene or do you just trust that it came out the way that you wanted based off of the performances you delivered? No, we, we rely heavily on playback. Oh, okay. It's yeah. Yeah. I would say usually our rhythm is like watching playback on like the first, like basically rehearsals and maybe like the first take and just like really honing every, you know, the camera move art, et cetera. And adjusting things and then we'll like roll on a few and then usually we can like uh, we determine that we think we got it and then we'll like watch that take and then usually shoot a couple more and often use that take where we thought we had it anyway (laughs) wow so you're pretty much watching every every take the first take of everything and then when you think you have it you watch that one to confirm that you had it is that right? Yeah, and then usually we'll shoot like a couple, like a safety. Wow. And, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, just because a 19-day schedule is really tight. And one of the things, yeah. I, I'm so I'm in prep on my first feature. I shoot in like a month from now. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, that, that's why I was like, one investor? Oh, my gosh, you guys are my heroes. Um, I have way more than that. <laughs> But, well, uh, that yeah, that person is our hero. It's yeah, so yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, one of the things my assistant director told me in my first meeting was that he's like, how much playback do you like to watch? And I was like, ah, you know, usually I'm not like have to watch it all the time. I'm pretty good with just knowing that we got it and moving on because I'm usually I'm not I'm not an actor. So I just watch the monitor. So I can imagine watching that much playback must add a lot of time to your days. It does add some time. I think perhaps because we maybe get a, a little less coverage than other people. I, I don't know exactly, but we we almost never went over. We somehow managed oh, to nice. really, and we had an excellent AD, Gene Smith, and, and a really, really great producer, Natalie Metzger. And I think we just all were able, it was, it was just factored into our schedule and, um, yeah. Nice. That's awesome. It was kind of so, how we need to work. It was so run and gun, though. Like, it's just, to be clear, like, I feel like... Yeah, yeah. As, it wasn't as an actor, No. It, like, the most takes we ever got of anything, I feel like, was, like, five or six. It was, right. like... So, we were yeah. not doing a lot of takes. The, the scenes in our movie are all about, like, a minute and a half to two, two and a half minutes. Like, there's yeah. so many scenes, but they're quite short. Nice. Yeah, that's that's something that I think about a lot, too, because with my movie, it's also short scenes, which is good. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, Sorry, I lost my train of thought. (laughs) No, I like what you're asking about playback, though, because we so right after we shot the Greener Grass feature, we directed two episodes of the third season of Adam Ruins Everything. And it's funny because that was other than like little branded content videos. That was like our first time really living in video village and being on monitor and not having our hair and makeup done at the same time. And we, because we weren't in those episodes. And so I, but I, I remember feeling, because I was so used to watching playback. I remember feeling on Adam that like 
when when you're watching it in real time on the monitor, when you're watching a take, I, I'm like watching so carefully, maybe like the actor and like the camera movement, something. But I would feel like after we cut, I would want to do playback so then I can really like watch the whole thing. It's like to to me, there's this like real electricity when the actor is like you know next to you doing it and the the dollies moving and you're like watching so many things that Don don't you remember feeling like oh I wish we could just watch playback more but there was no reason to really watch playback because (laughs) we were watching it but it it is funny like I guess I do like playback yeah (laughs) I know it's so funny funny too like I feel like sometimes while it's being shot or whatever I'll like really be fixated on the performance but then in playback I'll notice something in the art that is yes for me and want to like totally I it's like so hard to concentrate on everything in the moment that playback is such a luxury when when you can use it and not to deviate from the co-directing <laughs> question, but um, no, I love talking about playback. We could talk about playback for eight hours. I don't care. Right. Um, but to kind of add more on to why you work together and, and what designates a, a co-directing relationship, what are projects that you've worked on separately or is that a plan for you? Are you guys going to separate your workload at some point into different projects individually? Or can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, obviously we, we love working together so much. I think we definitely as actors, we've, you know, done a lot of projects separately and we continue to. And um, I know like in the past few years, I've directed several stage shows at UCB by myself and um we you know we do like little things here and there separately and but I think our our plan is to continue making movies and things together yeah totally but I I could always see like when Don gets scooped up and is starring on some cool new HBO comedy I could always see (laughs) working on separate things too you know Um, yeah we're you know of course you can only take things one day at a time but right now we're we are in the process of writing our next feature and I think we're just like really really focused on that and excited on that and yeah that's nice that's awesome that you guys you know found this amazing team uh in each other you know pretty early on in your filmmaking careers because I feel like finding the right person to collaborate is with is really hard. And I had like one really good collaborator collaborator when I was younger who quit filmmaking. And so I don't have that person to rely on anymore, you know, and, yeah. uh, and only recently did I collaborate with someone else who I thought like that I got along with really well. And uh, yeah, I think it's just really tough to find the people who you really trust and like you have that shared vision and that you want to work together so closely every day on something and like, you know, there's no uh, disagreements. I mean, but I, I didn't yeah. want to talk about that. Like, do you guys ever have like differing opinions on stuff or like, you know, like how do you deal with a situation if like one person thinks it should go one way and one person thinks it should go the other way? Like, how do you guys solve those issues on set? Totally. I want to like touch on the, what the the first part of what you were saying for a second and then we'll talk about the, the second part. But sure. um, one thing that... I I want to communicate because I think it really changed our lives as creatives is Don and I at a certain point after making 
probably our first two shorts, we started keeping banker's hours. Like we truly clock in (laughs) together around like 8.30 in the morning and then like we'll work until 6.30. And the whole time we were writing, whatever, like we've been doing that now for years. And we also do this thing that we call deep work, which I think it is an actual thing called deep work that I heard about one day on NPR. But we basically will set a timer for an hour and a half. And then we have to turn off all of our internet, everything. And then we only work on our creative projects. Oh, and then nice. when the timer goes off, we get a snack. Um <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, like your reward, I, right? <laughs> yes, and it works I, very well for us because we love snacks. <laughs> I think like it's I I had a couple different writing partners I worked with in New York, and we would meet like for two lunches a week. We would like you you know meet like some afternoons, this and that. But the reason I think Don and I get so much done is because we made it our jobs. Like we submit vacation hours to each other. Like, is it okay if I do it? If I go have a doctor's appointment in two months, like we truly treat it like a total job. And that changed my life. I know creatively. Yeah, definitely. I think too, like for me and I, Something about, I think, coming from like kind of an improv and live performance background, or maybe just the way that it's like works for us to like generate ideas and in writing is Jocelyn and I being together and like being able to pitch things out loud and kind of build on them. And I think sometimes when you're alone in writing, it's or for me anyway, and I know this is not the case for everyone, it's I'll like write something and I'm like, I think that's funny. I'm not sure. In the, like with Jocelyn, it's so nice because one of us will pitch something and just to have, if you can make the other person laugh or maybe they don't laugh, but they say, oh, yes, but what if it was that, but instead of this one detail, it was this other detail. And like, yes, that's better. And being able to like build off each other in real time and like just speaking out loud and like saying things it it just, I don't know. I think like it really is so beneficial. And Don, we had a funny breakthrough in an interview recently, which a yeah. couple of days ago, where we were talking about working together and you said something that I never really realized, but I, mean, I was saying basically that it helps me so much to work with Don because I get like extremely fixated on like every little detail and it'll take me like, hours to like be happy with a like a, a two sentences of stage direction like any joke I like I'm obsessing over and so I like I'm just so slow if I'm by myself and then Don you were saying <laughs> oh yeah and for me when I if I write by myself I'll be like oh I can't quite figure out those two sentences of stage directions I'm just gonna move on and like I'll, this is like a fine draft and I'll come back to that and just like want to plow through to the next thing. But in doing so, I leave out a lot of like details that can, in in those specifics is I think where you can really establish tone. And so Jocelyn and I, I think like are a good balance because Jocelyn will be so good at honing in on specifics and details and really hashing them out. And then I also get us to kind of 
keep moving. Keep forward. moving. Yeah. So it's funny. Um, but in terms of uh, getting along, so to speak, I, I think like, of, of course, Don and I are like, so often will be like butting heads creatively, but like, especially like in the writing, it's like, we're, we're both like, you know, we definitely have our moments when we're like, oh, I think this, I think this, but like, that is, I think because we love each other and respect each other so much, it's, it's always in like a constructive, collaborative way. And I think right. those times when we have like attention and push and pull creatively is like what some of our best work is born out of. Yeah. Because, you you know, so I, I definitely wouldn't say like, yeah, we're always yes anding every single thing. And it's like hunky dory. We're, we're like totally like, we'll like be fighting for things a lot when we write but it's also I feel like oh, I was just gonna say something so like cheesy but like I think like some of the moments where I feel like the most intimate with Dawn and the most like like creatively connected <laughs> are those moments when we're like really both feel, feeling passionately about something but I would yes. say it I would say it more happens in the writing and like Don was inferring before, we're truly a little bit talking through our shot list as we write. So I think by the time we're in pre-production and things, we've already had a lot of our, like, I'm imagining like two bulls with their horns connected. Like a lot of those, like, right. I don't know, 10 things we've had it out on. So you're saying like once you actually are on set, like you don't really have any disagreements because you've already had all those discussions beforehand. So there isn't any like, question of you know oh where are we going to put the camera or any anything because you already worked it all out because i guess to me it's like i mean no it's yeah that would be too dream world right well there's so many (laughs) things that happen when you're making a movie right where you have to make a decision so i mean i'm just wondering like are you guys always aligned on those like you know in the moment decisions or if you aren't aligned like how what is the process of working out which direction to go in of, of course, you know, like when you're on set, things, as you mentioned, come up that uh, make it that you have to change things on your feet. And I think more than anything, like it's just it's so important to Jocelyn and I that we come off to our other department heads and other actors as like a real unified voice. And so uh. when there are those decisions like, oh, where to put the camera because there's this reflection coming in on the windows or whatever, like we really rally, like connect just the two of us, talk it out, maybe consult with our DP or whoever. But any kind of disagreement, we want to come to a conclusion with like with each other before we're involving other right. people. So and you I guys just, have like, like little discussions. Yeah. Okay. We, yeah, we definitely will. But I like can't think of that many times that like that mm. slowed anything down. I think we're, yeah. I, I think we're very in sync. And like, also, we like talk through prep preparation, like so much in our the night before we're shooting and the makeup turns and that, and that like, we we know like the why behind everything we're doing that I think we're quite in sync and often able to make decisions on the fly 
through twin yeah. language and eye contact and like, yeah, rock and roll, let's do it. And it's, it's works out. Right. I don't know if you yeah, can tell totally. our goal is to get you to have your first fight on this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not working so far. Our plan has been thwarted. Oh my God, no. We interviewed an actor, Alex Wolf, who just shot his first feature and is being released right now, like a week ago. And we asked him, you know, oh. as an actor director, what advice would you give other directors and how to work with your actors, you know, being so familiar with both sides. And I'm sorry to jump so far from the conversation we were having, no, but I was good. just super curious about what advice you would give filmmakers. Oh, I love that. About working with actors specifically. Yeah. As, as directors. Yes. One thing that like we found really helpful, I think like specifically because our movie was low budget and we didn't have, it wasn't within our budget to do a lot of like rehearsal and like additional, you know, prep with the actors from a budget standpoint. One thing that was really useful to us was sitting down and talking to our actors before they arrived on set and just going through, making sure we were on the same page about their relationship, their uh, character's relationship to the other actors, talking about the tone and just really doing some of that work just in a, in a conversation before they show up on set. And that was yeah. really useful, especially because our, our movie is a slightly different tone than other movies. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And it's I I feel like it's it's really helpful to be able to hear the scene like actually run it in the blocking rehearsal and like it's I like knowing I think it's really important to trust your actors and to really listen to what they're coming in with but be able to hear it before the seven-month-old puppy is on set and before the babies are in the scene <laughs> so you can like hear hear what they're bringing to the table and if you do want to make any bigger adjustments then they can have time to walk away with it while they're finishing lighting and have that information before because on an indie film like that it's you're just moving so fast and you can't like there's so many variables that like you just don't have the luxury of playing in and like trying the scene a hundred different ways. So for us, it was important to like do our like playful exploration where we could steal it before like the pressure of you're really moving, if that makes sense. Well, I think that's really pragmatic. Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts. It doesn't have to be a comment on Alex Wolf's philosophy, but we had a long discussion where he felt that what the director should lavish love and attention and adoration on the actors. And it kind of blew my mind <laughs> because I forgot about the whole emotional aspect of performing. And um, as performers who also direct, do you find yourself catering to actor requests a little bit more? Or can you talk a little bit about that? Just the, the emotional treatment of talent? Oh, I really like that we're talking about this. <laughs> I do think it's important. <laughs> I do too. I think it's important for actors on set to feel like confident and good about themselves and like taken care of so they're not distracted by other things or feeling self-conscious or you do really, I think, need to take care of an actor's emotional well-being because you'll get the best performance out of them 
if they're feeling comfortable and confident and excited to take a risk or go to a place with a performance where they feel appreciated and taken care of. I also really like when, as an actor, when you're going again and going again on takes, to just have a little communication of why. Like, I love when a director is like, okay, we're going to go again. This is just for a camera bump. We're going to go again. This is for this. Because I think sometimes Mm -hmm. you're looking for like, am I not getting it? Like, is it, what, what is it? And if you know there was a camera bump, you're like, great. That means like what I'm doing is working. (laughs) So I have two questions. One is, if let's say an actor isn't giving you the performance that you want out of a certain scene, how do you communicate to that, that to them? Do you come at with, at them with like talking about what's working and then get to what's not working or like, what's your process for giving direction after a take? You know, it definitely depends on the situation. Like, one, one thing that comes to mind is I feel like sometimes it's helpful for me if a director will explain how it's coming off. Like, for example, like, okay, right now in the scene, it, I think it's coming off a bit like you're angry with your husband. And we really like want to feel like there's no anger between you. <laughs> because uh, I think it's helpful sometimes to just say... I, I think actor sometimes directors I, I think feel pressure to do this like emotional dance and speak in an actor's language, which is sometimes <laughs> right. really helpful. But I think it's also sometimes really helpful because it's a visual medium to just be like, This is what we're seeing and this is how I want it to be adjusted. Yeah. Right. Or like I am someone that I come from the Midwest and this isn't this is a vast generalization, maybe just my family, but I speak very slowly. And sometimes that comes through in my acting. (laughs) And I'm fine with, I like when a director is just like, okay, talk faster, (laughs) or like, just give the technical direction. Or, and also I think you're so, because we're directors on indie film and actors, like we, we know that time sensitivity and how fast you're moving and sometimes you just have to feel out I guess an actor's sensitivity to be given just technical directions versus I think some actors really do want to feel like they came up with the idea themselves and like really Uh speaking from an emotional place and it just I think just depends actor to actor you have to really kind of be sensitive to to each actor individually and what their the way they work the best is right so so here's a more difficult question and i don't know if this ever happened in any of the things that you've made together but what if because you're both like you know stars and co-directors has there ever been a time where one of you hasn't liked the other's performance and if so, like, how do you communicate that to each other when you're like, so working so closely together and it's so like, it can be a very difficult thing. Can you talk about how you've dealt with those kinds of, that, those kinds of conversations? Well, I, I absolutely think we have, we, we come at such an advantage of like the two of us have read our scenes back and forth out loud nonstop since they were written. So I feel like I couldn't imagine a world in which Don is doing something that I just don't like. <laughs> because right. I think like we're just so on the same page. But I think because we know each other so well and you know, have worked on these characters for so long together, there, of course, are some times when what the other person is giving is like so good, but your expectations are like even exceeding what is happening in the moment. And I think then it's really helpful 
that we can talk with our twin language and basically just be like, okay, this is <laughs> like Don, wouldn't you say there's definitely times when we're like, okay, this is the moment. Remember like blah, 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 blah. And like, yeah. we'll like, we'll push each other, but like, we're really, I, I mean, I would say I'm really lucky to ever be directing Don Luby because she's so fabulous. So I'm always like happy with what she's doing. I'll just like kind of sometimes like push it. Yeah, likewise. And I think like this isn't like with Jocelyn specifically at all, but like with just with, I was thinking of like working with actors. I think of like one thing, one way of kind of wording it is like, great, we like got a couple takes where you're coming at it with this like underlying anger that's feeling really good. I feel like we got that. Option. Why don't we yeah. try one where there's less anger and more like vulnerability coming through just to get that version? Like, and I mm. like that doesn't really relate to Jocelyn, you know, because we, as she said, we really know the analysis a little before going into it. But I think that is nice to tell an actor so that it, they feel like what they just did isn't necessarily wrong. It's just now we want to get some, uh, something a different different to play with. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So it's like you're validating their performance that like, yes, this is good, but then you're also getting the other version that you want too. So it's not like you're not ever having to tell them that they did it wrong. You're just saying, oh, like that was great. Now let's do it this way, basically. I think that is really nice because as an actor, you do like you're falling asleep at night and you're like, oh, I I shouldn't have come into it with that energy. You know, like you do think about (laughs) those things. So I think, um, I think that is nice. Yeah. So I have one more big question for both of you in this experience of making this first feature, you know, either in post-production or production, like talk about like the most challenging difficulty that you had to overcome in getting this film made. I think it's like where our ambition meets the budget. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say the exact same thing. It's really hard when you're steering the ship full of like such incredible artists and like, I'm thinking of like our production designer, Lee Poindexter, and our costume designer, Lauren Oppel, for example, whose like blood, sweat and tears are on every frame of this movie. <laughs> it's just hard because these people are working so hard and you want to give them a huge team. You want to give them more hours of sleep at night. You want, and it's like, but, and you also want everything to be perfect. And I think the emotional weight of, and I think it's probably what most people experience on their first feature is that feeling of like, basically like 50 people doing you huge favors every day, day after day. Right. It's like an emotional feeling of like, you're so grateful. You, you feel guilty. Right, Don? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like also every single day, in addition to feeling guilty and like you were asking way too much of everyone around you, I also feel like we just always wanted more time, which of course relates mm-hmm. to budget. But in on set, every day you want more time. You want twice as many days to shoot. You want twice, twice as, as many much days art prep time. Yeah. Yes. You right. want, and then in the edit, we could have edited for a year in that. <laughs> like amazing. But of course, yeah. like we're we were gunning to meet the Sundance deadline, and then you know gunning to after Sundance, like re-edit the film to get it exactly where we wanted it. It was just, yeah, always wanting more time and and not having that. Yeah. 
time and more is, resources. Time is the thing that I, I think we all wish we had more of. You know, there's more time in the day. Life would be a lot easier uh, as filmmakers. This is something <laughs> that you guys probably know very well, but just being that this was our first feature, I also wish we filmed more transitions. <laughs> oh, yes. interesting. That's good. We talk yes. about transitions a bit on the show, and we're ta- in my prep for my movie. We're talking about transitions. Yeah. But yeah, did you guys not have a lot of transitions from scene to scene, or we talked about them in the writing? We were like, we had, we had all kinds of things. We were like, and then like the egg splatters on the pan, and it cuts to this. That's not an example from this movie, but we like talked about things <laughs> like that. Like what? Right then, we would like go through the yeah. last thing and the next thing. I would say. It just in the edit, we ended up needing like a sort of padding that thankfully our editor, Taylor Giannotis, one of our very closest collaborators, of course, was down shooting in Georgia with, or he was he was editing as we went. So he was in Georgia oh, getting wow. the footage every day. Amazing. We had to do that because of the Sundance deadline was so close. So him and the DP would the DP would deliver the cards at night and then they would we all stayed in a hotel together. So they would talk. Oh nice. And that's one of the things that they caught on to, I would say like midway through is Taylor was asking Lowell Mayer or DP, can you just like shoot the sky sometimes? Like, can you just get like <laughs> basically like B roll? And I think Taylor ended up using every single piece of like B roll that Lowell shot. Oh, and we're wow. so grateful they realized that and they did it because we didn't foresee that at the moment. Wouldn't you say it on? Yeah. And sometimes, too, in your script, like in your head, the way you imagine a transition, then when you have your footage, it just doesn't work the way that you see it in your head. So Mm. to have that B-roll and reimagine those transitions in the edit was something we did for a lot of them. And we were so, yeah, grateful to have that B-roll. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, I feel like Having an onset editor is so valuable, you know, and something I wanted for my movie, but alas, no budget. Yeah. But I worked on a movie once yeah. where they had that and it was like, oh man, this is rad. Because like, as they go, they could see what wasn't working and what was working and like reshoot little pieces here and there that they needed for the movie. And uh, totally. yeah, that's such a valuable tool. I think well, it really could... helps to also, oh yeah, sorry. I was no, no, just going to say to go have ahead. your editor, if you have an editor you collaborate with, to have them read the script beforehand too. Oh yeah. Because yeah. they're really good at sequencing and, you know, like little, like helping with little adjustments. Uh, Taylor is right. excellent at that. Yeah, I'm I'm being forced to edit my own movie, sadly, because they're, yeah, again, no budgets. <laughs> so, oh no, um, you, you heard yeah. me talk about streamlined. That's so streamlined. Yeah, yes, that's very streamlined that's great <laughs> as soon as my producer yeah. heard that i'm an editor he's like oh you're editing the movie you're done that's twenty thousand dollars we saved done no problem oh my god i was like i was like wait oh but i really wanted to collaborate with an editor uh and then no oh conversation god. done so Aww. i could talk to you guys forever but we should probably wrap this up pretty soon i had my last question liz do you have any last questions you want to ask no <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! I was just going to say, we're excited about your feature too. I heard you talking about it on the Just Shoot It um, podcast recently. I mean, when they were on your show and the idea sounds so fun and it's it's very cool. Both of you guys are working on, uh, you know, features right now. 
Thank you. Uh, Liz's feature is very awesome. Um, you should see it in a theater if you can. Well, um, we're only... Oh, is that done? Yeah, it's um, releasing January 10th. And then I'm going into production for my third feature in January. I don't know why I complain Yay. about that. Why am I complaining? I'm you should just be gonna, excited. I'm going to mute That's myself. Thrilled. I'm muting. I'm going away. <laughs> Goodbye. Oh, <laughs> so, so exciting. That's funny. Well, uh, well, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been a really fun conversation. Yeah, thank and, you. Uh, I, I kind of feel like I want to talk to you guys again after I see the movie because just based on the trailer, uh, I think I'm going to have a lot of questions story wise of like how you came <laughs> up with this crazy world that uh, that I got a brief glimpse of in the trailer. Uh, but yeah, maybe for the next episode <laughs> after oh, feature two, after series one oh and gosh. feature two, we'll do a recap. Exactly. Oh, how fun. Oh, we love it. Well, we just think what you guys are doing is so important for the filmmaking community, and we're honored to be speaking with you. So thank you. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much. Yes, thank you so much. So excited to be on your show. Yay. We did it. Making movies is hard. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully it's getting less hard through these conversations, you know? That's the goal. Yeah. Uh, I think it's working. I feel like I, I don't know, for at least for me, like, you know, this is four years now or almost five years that we've been doing the podcast I feel like things have become more clear to me in that time whereas when I started I had no idea what the heck I was doing (laughs) totally Um, totally I feel like we should tell a story too to your listeners that I think is helpful to hear too is so we made these shorts and obviously our first feature premiered at Sundance but we we like to explain that before our feature premiered at Sundance we submitted to Sundance four times and got rejected every time. Oh, and really? With our three, sh- our three shorts, and then oh, we yeah. wrote a different screenplay for the Sundance Screenwriters Lab, and we we were finalists, so we had to like you know do the whole huge treatment package, screenplay, everything, and we did it just specifically for that, and we didn't end up getting in, and. What is so interesting is, so our producer, Natalie Metzger, was like gunning for Sundance. And we were like, "Ah, like, Natalie, honestly, I don't (laughs) think like our comedy is their cup of tea. We've always gotten rejected from them. And then we ended up getting into Sundance with this feature. And when we arrived there, the first night we were there, we were at this like filmmakers welcome party. And these two programmers came running up to us and they're like, Jocelyn and Don, we've been tracking you guys for four years. And oh, like wow. we're such fans. We're so happy you're here. And we were like, what? And then oh, that's it's funny. True. Every time they played our movie there, someone, a programmer introduces you and they're like, we've had our eyes on this duo for almost five years now. Here they are. And we just right. like to tell that story because we were like, we had no idea. And like, you never know when you're receiving rejection after rejection that they are still tracking you and rooting right. for you. That it's not, is it not even getting past the gatekeepers? That's what I would assume, right? Yeah. Is that it's just getting like thrown into the pile of rejections and no one, yeah. you know, that's in, at Sundance like. is actually watching it, you know, but that's, yeah, that's something totally. we've heard from other guests too, that like you apply like eight times to something, get rejected eight times. And then it's the ninth time that they let you in, you know, because they 
have seen all your hard work and your growth and then like finally you're ready to join this program or whatever it is exactly yeah so that's good i'm I'm glad that you guys told that story because like i think whenever us as filmmakers hear sundance or these fancy film festivals we just assume that oh like that's a different breed of filmmaker than me that they got into these festivals but it's good to know that you're just getting the same rejections that everybody else is you know until you get that one opportunity yeah oh yeah Awesome. Well, I think with that awesome story, let's uh, wrap this thing up. Thanks again for being on the show, Jocelyn and Don. And yeah, I can't wait to watch Greener Grass and whatever next crazy creation you guys come up with. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you, Liz. All right. That was our conversation with Jocelyn and Don. Thanks again uh, for being on the show, ladies. That was a really, really fun conversation. I really thought it was inspiring just to hear about all the short films that they made together that led to Greener Grass, the feature. It's super cool. And just their work ethic sounds pretty amazing, too, which I really, really appreciate. I I didn't know what bankers hours were. And ever since they mentioned (laughs) them, I realized that's what I want to do with my life is work bankers hours. Yeah, I think that's like something that um oh gosh jared hess uh from the napoleon dynamite fame that's what he said on uh his episode was that him and his wife like they get the kids to school and then they sit down and they write um you know like nine to like two or three pick up the kids and then do kid stuff and then once the kids are in bed they maybe get a little bit more writing done but they pretty much try to like do it in the main nine to five hours part of the day but I think with kids, it's a little bit more difficult. And they're also an interesting combo because they write together, which is really cool, too. So him and his wife co-write stuff, which is cool. And I think at the time they were working on the Rugrats movie, which I hope that happens. <laughs> It'd be really oh, cool. yeah. I'm into that. Thanks again, Jocelyn Dawn. Everyone go see Greener Grass. I think it's uh, in theaters still, probably. And if not, I'm sure it's on VOD and all kinds of places to be seen. But if you want, you can check out our website at makingmoviesishard.com, where you can find links to the things we talked about on this episode. If you want to get in contact with us, you can send an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com, or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at podcast. I'm AlworkB on Twitter and Instagram, and Liz is... Liz Manischel, everywhere you look. I will be there. <laughs> and then don't forget to check out the alternate film on Twitter. Uh, Twitter is at alternatefilm one. And then on Facebook and Instagram, it's The Alternate Film. So check that out, too. Uh, We're probably going to be in production by the time this comes out, which is crazy. But yeah. And if you like the show, please tell a friend. Help us get the word out. You can leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. We also have a Patreon page, which you should check out. We don't really talk about Patreon very much, but we probably should be talking about it more. If that's the way that you guys can keep the, keep the podcast going and keep us from spending all our money on editors and whatever else this podcast needs, which is things. You yeah, know, ca- I'm a podcast backer. I mean, I give us $4 a month. Yeah, I give myself amazing. $4 a month. Now I feel like I podcast. should also give myself $4 a month because I feel bad that Liz is giving $4 a month and I am not giving $4 a month. You give so much more. Don't worry how, about it. How dare I? All right. Well, thanks again for a great episode. And yeah, we'll talk to you guys next week.